Uh, so let me introduce you Kathleen uh, Patchell. Kathleen's been a part of our church since uh, very early days. Um, she's actually also my mother-in-law and uh, wonderful, been volunteering and serving for such a long time. And every now and then we get her to come in and speak and do a summer sermon. And she's more educated than most of us. She's a PhD in English literature, and surely that will show up in her um, in, in her sermon, and certainly it does when we publish anything because I let her check the grammar, so it's uh, awesome. So, And if the grammar is bad in something, you know she hasn't checked it, so there you go. So awesome. Let's uh, give her a big hand and say thanks to Kathleen. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, okay. Well, um, I was going to introduce myself, but Aaron already has. Um, over here is my husband, John. I've been married to him for half a century. Um, I'm the mother of six, the mother-in-law of six, grandmother of 16. Um, I'm a teacher of English, keyboard player, and I wear lots of hats. But my happy place is reading books. Um, I've been a Christ follower for more than 50 years. But it's only gradually, over the years, that the reality of my life in Christ has moved from being head knowledge to, because I said I had statements that I believed, and I really believed them, but now I'm moving to experiential understanding the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for me. I don't know if you noticed this morning, but our worship songs were all about putting Jesus at the center of our lives. And spoiler alert, that's what I'm going to talk about. Um, two ways that I came to this topic. <laughs> Um, I often pray in, in the words of worship songs, like, I need you, oh, I need you, this morning. Um, but in this case, when I was praying about what to talk about this morning, the song that I heard was Jesus, Be the Center, um, which we sang off the Robin Mark CD 20 years ago. Um, so the word to me was to put Jesus in the center of everything I say, as well as how I live. Um, and the second was I got a picture. I was reading a meditation in version about leading a balanced life um, based on Matthew 6, 3, which is seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, then all your other needs will be met as well. The author said we should think of our lives like a wheel. Um, so immediately I saw a picture of an ox cart. Um, unless you've been somewhere like Upper Canada Village, you probably don't know, you haven't seen an ox cart. But in 1901, my grandmother, at the age of 16, drove an ox cart full of her family's possessions from Saskatoon to Maidstone in northern Saskatchewan while her mother lay ill in the back. So I have a special connection. It works. Um, the center of the wheel is the hub and all the spokes of your life, which represent your relationships, your family, your career, your goals, come out of that hub. So the question is, what will be your hub? Will it be your family? Will it be your career? Will it be money? Will it be yourself? Or will it be Jesus? And how can you know what you're building your life around? One clue is, what do you think about when you go to bed at night and when you wake up in the morning? or when you've got downtime, when you're not focused on a screen? Um, do you worry about your debt, or financial problems, or what you're going to wear that day, or about a child or a friend who's making decisions you know that are wrong? 
or do you place Jesus right at the center of your life and allow him to bear your burdens with you? The author said putting Jesus at the center of our lives, not just in first place, but right in the center, gives us stability, control, and the power that we need. And then all the rest of our life will find balance. So I asked God two questions. What other reasons are there for putting Jesus at the center? That's the why question. And how do we put Jesus at the center of our lives? So to answer the why, I've been reading and rereading Colossians 1, 13 to 23, and I feel like I've barely scratched the surface. Paul wrote this letter to the body of believers in Colossae to expose the errors that had perverted their faith, both coming from Jewish and from Greek believers. Um, Paul shows that any teaching that detracts from the centrality of Christ leads to error. So I'm using the New American Standard because it was the only hard copy Bible I had at the cottage when I was praying about what to say. I didn't have any power, I didn't have any internet, all I had was the Bible. So here we go. Um, now, as I read this, I want you to listen, and I don't know if any of you are taking notes, but I want you to mentally or physically make a list of all the reasons that you can identify in this passage um, for putting Jesus in the center of our lives. For God rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's bought us. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly, formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Okay, um, we'll do a little bit more in a little while, but. I've picked out seven reasons, and I'm not going to go into any detail, but see if you caught these as you went through. I'm going to give the list um, about why we should put Jesus in the center. And seven, they say when you're, when you're doing a sermon, seven's too many, but I, I think you can handle it. Okay, so, for God rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God puts Jesus at the center. So that to me seems like a no-brainer that we should too. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Um, and I think this is really neat because Jesus demonstrates who God is, right? We can't see God, but we can see Jesus. Um, we, can, we can follow Jesus' life and his words. 
Um, we see his character, his nature. Okay, that was number two. And I don't know what's happened to number three. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So in other words, Jesus created us and all the universe. I mean, that's pretty astonishing. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus gives us life and every breath we breathe. And the older you get, when you wake up in the morning, you're thankful for another day of breathing. So it's not anything to take for granted. He's also head of the body of the church, and he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Jesus is the foundation of everything we believe. It's the reason we meet together. He is the, the cornerstone and the head of our, the church. His body, that's us, right? He is our head, and that's why he needs to be in the center. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. I think it's really neat. It's not just here on earth, but it's in the heavenly realms that we just maybe sense sometimes, but hopefully we're going to see them. Through Jesus and his death and resurrection, all things are reconciled to God. And this was number seven. And this is the toughie for me. Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Okay. Jesus presents us to God as holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. Um, I've always had a really tough time with that concept, a really tough time believing that verse. Um, in the 90s, we sang a Kevin Prosh song called His Banner Over Me Is Love, and the bridge went like, we can feel the love of God in this place. We believe your goodness. We receive your grace. We delight ourselves at your table, O oh God. You do all things well. Just look at our lives. I couldn't sing that last line, right? It, I, I know that God does all things well, but I also knew that I blew it all the time. I didn't do all things well. My life didn't seem like it was reflecting God doing all things well either. Um, it was the same with Mercy Me's more recent song, Flawless, which I first heard at a life-changing weekend called Tres Dias. How, how many of you have seen the movie, I Can Only Imagine? Great. One of my favorite movies in the past few years. I highly recommend it. And it's sort of how Mercy Me came together. And knowing that story makes the words of this song even more poignant. So here's hoping it's going to work. There's got to be Where 
Anyway, um, I now know that I was believing lies that go against that verse in Colossians that says that Jesus presents you and me to God as holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. What are some of the lies I listen to? Um, you're a failure as a wife. You'll never meet all your husband's needs. You're a failure as a mother. None of your children feel unconditionally loved. You're a failure as a daughter. You took so much of your parents' generosity and self-sacrifice for granted. You're a failure as a teacher, etc., etc. The list goes on and on. But thanks be to God, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life shows me and you. I am a child of one true king. I am beautiful in his eyes, and I am flawless in his eyes. This was totally life-changing. Okay, and I pray the same for you, if, if you're having that same difficulty. Okay, to segue to the second question, how do we put Jesus at the center? So we need to look at verse 23, the last verse, the if clause. Um, if you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which is proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And what is this hope that we have? Well, Paul answers it in Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It seems like a paradox that Christ in us will show us how to put Jesus at the center of our lives. But um, I'm just going to suggest three practical steps. Um, and they're always for me, right? It's always the lesson is to me, but I hope that they'll spill over to you too. Um, I'd say being faithful in Christian disciplines, um, like having a, a daily time with Jesus with no screens, except I, I, I go against that because I use your version in the morning, which is a screen. But anyway, just being open to listening to what he has to say to you. Um, reading your Bible daily. There's just so many wonderful studies on version, And I remember the last time I spoke, I said, um, look, look at your Bible before you look at Facebook. And I, every morning I think of that. Um, you need to fill your mind with worship music. Um, you need to, you know, when you're washing the dishes or driving in the car, it's so much better than, you know, talk shows and things like that. Keep a prayer list and intercede for all the people that you know who have needs. Um, second. The second step is to identify the idols in our lives. Everybody trusts in something. We can even make good things like our marriage or our families or our ministries in the church into idols. But trusting in things other than God can have devastating effects on our lives. Jeremiah says, those who make idols are disillusioned, but we do it all the time with our careers, our relationships, our bank accounts. We act as if these created things give us meaning in our life, but when we do that, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Isaiah in 44.20 says, the poor deluded fool trusts something that can't help him at all, yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? 
The worst part is that idols don't just disappoint us, they also enslave us. Um, Psalm 115 says, those who make idols end up like them, so does anyone who trusts them. So whatever you value most in life, you're going to become like. If you value money, you'll eventually become a materialist. If you value pleasure, you'll become a hedonist. If you value works, you'll become a pragmatist. If you value above all else Jesus Christ, you'll become a Christian. So, if we put something first in our lives instead of Jesus, why do we do it? And I think it's because we want a God that we can control. Um, if we make money our God, we feel like we can control it. Same with people. But you can't control God. He says, don't reduce me. Don't try to fit me in, into your lifestyle. Don't try to control me. Do you remember in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are trying to describe Aslan to um, Peter and Susan and Lucy, and Lucy says, then he isn't safe? And Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I'm glad that likewise we can't control our God. A third way of putting Jesus in the center is to search for truth. And I just love that one of the songs we sang said that we were standing on the truth. Um, but don't expect to find truth in our culture. As a general rule, it's not everything. When I was at Ottawa U in the first 10 years of this century, I spent my time looking for truth, um, particularly through English literature. And I ended up looking at um, how the church had declined in Canada in the 20th century and therefore people couldn't read books written from a Christian perspective um, because they, they didn't understand what it, what it was all about. They didn't understand the worldview. And I discovered that in universities right across Canada, and Ottawa U was probably one of the better ones, um, there were three dominant philosophies that had replaced the truth that Jesus shows us. Um, and I think we can see this in our culture at large. This was in academics, but I think we see it in the media, everywhere. The first is individualism. That says that we're the standard for our lives, right? Just like the Israelites in the book of Judges, when all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes, um, and it didn't work then, it doesn't work now. Secularism. You know what that means? It means that God is unnecessary, right? For the past 50 years, we've been systematically taking God out of our schools, um, government, media. We've relegated God to sun Sunday mornings, if we even consider him then. And relativism, and this is the tr trickiest one. We're told that there's no absolutes, right? What's true for you may not be true for me. It's a great way to live if you don't want to feel any guilt, right? If you don't measure up to God's standard, you just change the standard. But it's a really tough philosophy to argue with because somebody will just say, oh, well, you've got your beliefs, I've got mine. How can you show them, you know, what is truth? And I, I think that's our job. It's really important because what, what we believe shapes our lives. Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
So personal change is found in knowing the truth. If you face the truth about yourself, God, and your relationships, then you're free to change. Behind every self-defeating behavior in your life is a lie, just like the ones I was talking about. For example, if you're deeply in debt, look and see if it's because you believe some lies. You may have thought, oh, I could just keep charging things forever and get away with it. Oh, really? Um, I have to have this iPhone 10. Oh, I really love that BMW. Or I really want that new dress. Really? Do you have to have it? Is it true? Can you prove it? I lie to myself all the time, and I suspect maybe you do too. Um, but if we're going to change, we have to face the truth. So, who or what is the truth? And this was, this was the bottom line of what I discovered in 10 years at university, which is kind of cool. Jesus said, I am the truth. Not, I have the truth. Not, I point the way to the truth. Not, I teach the truth. He said, I'm it. I am the truth. So truth in our lives is found in Jesus. Um, so what is right and wrong gets its meaning in the character of Jesus himself, revealing God, right? Dishonesty is wrong because God is honest. Unfaithfulness is wrong because God is faithful. Proverbs 2.9 says, God shows how to distinguish right from wrong, how to find the right decision every time. And the Bible tells us what's true, whether or not we like what it says. Once we encounter God's truth, we'll recognize two key features of it every time. Uh, and it's a good standard. One, God's truth is universal. It applies to everybody. If it doesn't apply to, to somebody or to everyone, it's not truth. It's an opinion. And it's unchanging. It won't be moved by fads or fashions. If adultery was wrong 2,000 years ago, it's wrong today, and it'll be wrong 4,000 years from now. So our world gives us three options for how to discover truth. We can base our morality on what we think, what other people think, or on what God thinks. We have no other options. Our choice will dictate how we live, how we love, and someday how we will die. So the question is, which will you choose? So to conclude, I, I don't know about you, but I know that I constantly need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And change involves discovering the truth on which I build my life. The encouraging thing about the journey that we're on, where we're all hopefully becoming more like Jesus, it never ends until we take our last breath. So if somebody at my age can discover new areas that I've been believing, lies that I've been believing, idols in my life that I have held dearer than Jesus, and areas of thought that need to be realigned with God's word, then I pray the same for you. And I also pray that you will go out and be Jesus to a hurting world. Bless you all. Thank you.